0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter fifteen. Romans chapter fifteen. Every year around this time, the bulletin of the atomic scientists, how many of you get that publication? Not me neither. But they release a statement about their doomsday clock. And they created this doomsday clock metaphor almost eighty years ago after concerns about the possibility of global catastrophe due to nuclear weapons. Some of you are old enough to remember duck and cover, that sort of thing, waiting for the bomb to drop. And this imaginary doomsday clock is supposed to warn us about how close we are to annihilation, what they call midnight. And the clock was initially set to seven minutes to midnight, and it has gone back and forth over the years. And just last week, they released their statement that it's still 90 seconds to midnight, as it was last year. And they said, in this time of unprecedented global danger, concerted action is required and every second counts. Nowadays, their concerns have broadened to include not just nuclear annihilation, but threats from climate change, biological weapons, and artificial intelligence. And this doomsday clock is just one of many voices warning us of looming cataclysm. Beyond this, I'm sure you're all aware of the increase in recent years in deaths of despair, deaths due to suicide or drug and alcohol abuse. And while in many ways, as Keith just said, we are the most blessed generation in history, it's understandable that young people told all the time that the world is near extinction and a society that has fragmented ties between family and friends plus isolation from a years-long pandemic would lead many to despair and hopelessness. Even Christians can feel a hopelessness as we see increased decay and wickedness around us, and politicians doing little or nothing for the cause of justice and mercy. And even churches that once preached the gospel may contribute to this degradation. How many have you have you felt like David in Psalm twelve? Verses 1 and 2, he says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak falsehood to one another. With flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. And then verse 8 of Psalm 12 says, The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. And it's easy for us to give in to despair and hopelessness, but Paul has an antidote to that in the book of Romans. He's written a long letter displaying the glories of the gospel and how we should respond to that good news. And by chapter 15, he's wrapping things up. But before he closes, he has a few things to emphasize. Starting verse 7 down to verse 12, we hear an echo of what Paul said at the beginning in Romans 1.16. And this really connects with what Uh, Brett was talking about in some depth this morning from Acts 15. Remember Paul says in Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. He connects that in chapter 15. Look at verse 7. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. And we are to accept each other, especially when we might be tempted to divide as Jews and Gentiles. Verse 8 says, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, that is, the Jews, on behalf of the truth of God, to confirm the promises given to the Father. To the fathers, rather. And so, he's a Jew. Christ is in fulfillment of the scriptures and the promises of God. Verse 9 says, And for the Gentiles... To glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. So for the sake of the Gentiles, Christ came so that they can all glorify God for his mercy, Jew and Gentile alike. And here's a song from King David in verse nine. Paul quotes Psalm eighteen, where King David rejoices among the Gentiles. And then verse 10, again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And this is a quote from Moses in Deuteronomy, a song from Moses. We had a song from David, the verse before, now we have a song from Moses, calling the nations to rejoice with Israel. Verse 11, quote Psalm 117, it says, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. So Psalm 117 is calling the Gentiles to praise the Lord. And then, verse uh, 12 is a quote from Isaiah 11. Again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. So there is one who is coming who is the root of Jesse, verse 12 says, that is, the son of David. He's of the tribe of Judah. And he doesn't just rule over the nation of Israel, over all nations, over all the Gentiles, and this ruler is one in which the Gentiles will hope. And now that Paul has mentioned hope, I think that sparks within him a desire to give the Roman believers a blessing, a, a benediction in Romans fifteen thirteen, and that's our text for today. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope By the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is a little verse, but it has a lot to say to us this morning. And to understand it together, let's pull out a few key words from this verse and then we'll put it all back together at the end. Our first word today is hope. Hope. In the broadest sense, the Greek word, usually translated hope, means to have a confident expectation. And in the Old Testament, there are several Hebrew words, often translated as hope, which have the root meaning of waiting, and thus again of expectation. You're waiting for something to happen. And another Hebrew word is usually translated trust in English, but it also has the same idea. And biblically, there's a strong link between hope and trust, or faith. You hope in what you have, faith will will come. Now sometimes this word hope denotes a simple wish or desire. In fact, Paul even uses it this way later in Romans 15. He says that he hopes, verse 24, he hopes to see the Roman Christians in passing whenever he goes to Spain. And he also says in Philippians 2, he hopes to send Timothy to the Philippian church. So he doesn't know if it's going to happen, but he hopes it will happen. He has an expectation it will happen. Uh, John also uses the word hope in this way in 3 John 13 and 14. The Apostle John says, I had many things to write to you, but I am not willing to write them to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we will speak face to face. So this is a hope of simple desire, something that I I wish will happen. But more often in the scriptures, the word hope means something far more than just a desire. And listen as I read a few passages on hope and try to determine the nature of the hope that's expressed there. The Psalm 31 Verses 23 and 24 says, Oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. The writer of Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, speaks of the two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have taken refuge have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us this hope we have as an anchor of the soul a hope both sure and steadfast and then earlier in Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 i think you may know these verses well therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace In which we stand and we exult or we glory, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So, the hope in these verses I've just read and our verse today is not just wishful thinking or desire, but it's a hope that's full of confidence, certainty, trust, and faith. A friend of mine has a kind of funny illustration of hope. Imagine a rabid football fan, now we get towards the end of the football season, imagine this fan who spends all day Sunday watching games, and the rest of the week, he's thinking about nothing but football. Then picture his long-suffering wife, who waits and waits for him to pay attention to her, and maybe get some work done around the house. The football fan hopes his team makes it to the Super Bowl. The wife hopes for the end of the football season. The wife's hope is the kind of hope we're talking about this morning. And we can distinguish these hopes as temporal hope and eternal hope. And let me just say, it's okay for Christians to have a temporal hope, as Paul and John did, but always subject to if the Lord wills, we shall do this or that. But one way to distinguish these hopes, the temporal hope and the eternal hope, is to, to think of these uh Prepositions. Temporal hope hopes that. Temporal hope hopes that. That is, that I get married, or that I have children someday, or that I have a peaceful long life, or some people might say that I win the lottery, or that my favorite team or preferred politician wins. But while temporal hope hopes that, eternal hope hopes in. Eternal hope hopes in. In the promises of God. In the triumph of Christ. In the work of the Holy Spirit in us and this hope hopes in ultimately not in what God will do but in who God is and as I use this term eternal hope let me clarify it by saying I don't mean hope that is eternal hope is not everlasting once the hope for things become reality hope is no longer necessary as Paul says in Romans eight twenty four. hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he already sees. So we hope in Christ, but when we have Christ, when they're present with him, that hope will vanish in the light of his glory. So by eternal hope, I mean hope that is in eternal things, or even better, hope that is in an eternal, faithful God. So now that we've talked about hope a bit, let me give a descriptive definition. A descriptive definition of hope. Eternal hope brings the promised blessings of the future into the present and holds onto them with confident assurance because of the faithfulness of God. I'll read that again. Eternal hope brings the promised blessings of the future into the present and holds onto them with confident assurance because of the faithfulness of God. Well, that's hope in brief. Our next word for this morning is Joy. Joy. And sometimes you'll hear people make a division between joy and happiness, that happiness is fleeting, but joy is lasting. And I don't make such a fine distinction. If you look at dictionaries, they will often define joy as great happiness. But like hope, when we ask ourselves what a verse means by joy, we need to ask ourselves what the joy is in. It's the object of our faith, or our joy or of our hope, that dis- determines what that kind of uh, joy or hope is. Listen to Matthew 13. This uses the word joy. Verses 20 and 21. This is the parable of the sower. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but it is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. This man had joy, but it was a temporary joy. There is a kind of temporary joy. On the other hand, there is a joy that is more lasting. It's a joy that endures through trials. Remember James 1, starting verse 2, says, Consider it it all, what, my brethren? All joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You don't have joy in the circumstances per se. You're not glad that bad things happen to you. The trials are happening except in the light of the fact that when you have this testing of your faith, you will endure, and that's the joy you have, and the endurance that you will gain by God's grace through the trial. Philippians 2.17 Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, now Paul is in prison, I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. So Paul in prison can be joyful. He can rejoice with the Philippians. And there's a joy that doesn't end. Jesus says to his disciples in John 16, Therefore you too will have grief now. Remember, he's about to leave. You will have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. So you'll grieve for a few days, but I will rise again, come back to you, and that joy will never go away. Just like there is temporal hope and eternal hope, there is temporal joy And eternal joy. And our eternal joy comes because we have an eternal Savior, and our joy is in Christ. Let me give you another descriptive definition as I gave you for hope. This eternal joy is a gladness of heart that looks beyond present troubles to our glories to come in Christ. This eternal joy is a gladness of heart that looks beyond present troubles to our glories to come in Christ. And by the way, Jesus himself had such joy. We may, not, may not often think of him as joyful. We may be tempted to picture Jesus as gloomy because he was, after all, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But listen to Luke 10.21. After He sends out 70 disciples, and they return with joy after preaching the Gospels in many cities. At that very time, Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. So Jesus rejoices in the Holy Spirit. We have here a Trinitarian verse. Jesus rejoices in the Spirit and praises the Father. John fifteen eleven, Again, in the upper room before he goes to his death. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. Jesus' joy is given to the disciples, and that your joy may be made full. And Hebrews 12, 2, says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus was grieving as he went to the cross, and the, the pain and suffering that he knew he would endure and did endure, but he had a joy in him that looked ahead to the triumph that was to come. And so Jesus doesn't demand joy from us that he does not have himself. So we've seen hope, joy, now peace. And again, there are different kinds of peace. There's a peace between men and God. You might call it a, a vertical peace. Romans 5.1 mentions this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've been brought together in peace with God because of Christ. There's also, of course, a horizontal peace, peace between uh, people in the church or outside. Romans twelve eighteen says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And sometimes this may be true peace or it may be just a temporary cessation of hostilities. But in any case, we want to have peace between one another. But there's also an, an internal peace, an internal peace inside the heart. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, you probably know this passage. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when you're tempted to have turmoil in your heart, anxiety in your heart. Pray to the Lord and he will give you that peace of God in your heart. The question then is, what is the peace referred to in Romans fifteen thirteen? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Well, I think it's not the peace between men and God because that's already there for those who know Christ. Some commentators think it's the peace among brethren. After all, in the previous chapter we see that kind of peace. Uh, Romans 14, verses 17-19. Paul says, The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So in chapter 14, Paul says, let's do things that make for peace. And then earlier, we saw in chapter 15, talking about living in harmony together, Jews and Gentiles. So there is this context of peace among the brethren that could be in Paul's mind in verse 13. Other commentators think it's referring to an inner peace within one's own heart, like in Philippians 4, this peace of God which surpasses all comprehension guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I lean towards that because in the context, Paul refers to joy and peace connected to our faith and hope. So to me, it seems more individual and internal, in verse 13. But other commentators think it refers to both inner and relational peace. So I don't want to arbitrate between all these different commentators. In fact, Matthew Henry says this, joy and peace in our own hearts would promote a cheerful unity and unanimity with our brethren. So if we are joyful and peaceful in ourselves, we're more likely to have joy and peace in our relationships, especially in the church. In any case... This kind of peace that Paul refers to here belongs to a soul that is untroubled despite tribulation because it rests in the goodness of God and the triumph of Christ. This peace belongs to a soul that is untroubled despite tribulation because it rests in the goodness of God and the triumph of Christ. So now that we've described hope, joy, and peace Let's fit them back into this verse and its benediction. First, Paul mentions the God of hope. Now, may the God of hope fill you. Now, does this mean this is the God who gives us hope? Or is this the God we hope in? Is God the source of our hope? Or is it the object of our hope? The answer is, yes. Yes, he is. He is the God who gives hope. And he is also the God who is our hope. Now, when God is referred to here by Paul, usually it means God the Father. God the Father is talking about in the first part of verse 13. May the God of hope. But our eternal hope is Trinitarian. It's Trinitarian. We could listen to 1 Peter 1.3, speaking of the Father. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the Father gives us hope, according to his mercy, through the Son. We also have hope in Christ. 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul uh, speaks of the commandment of our God and Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. And Colossians 1.27 says that God willed to make known what is the riches of his glory... Of this, or riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Son Himself is the hope of glory. So the Father gives us hope, the Son gives us hope, and the Holy Spirit gives us hope. We see that in our verse for today. You will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Galatians five five, Paul says, "We through the Spirit." by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. So the Spirit empowers our hope. We don't have hope apart from the Holy Spirit. So the God of hope, Father, Son, and Spirit, Paul is, is asking something of this God, and he wants the God of hope to do something, and that is to fill you with all joy and peace. Fill you with all joy and peace. And Paul loves this filling language when he's speaking about God and his gifts. He could have just said, may the God of hope grant you joy and peace. And he does speak that way sometimes. He says grace to you and peace and so forth. But other times he likes to pile on the alls and the everys. Remember 2 Corinthians 9.8. Paul says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed in second Thessalonians 3:16 now may the god of or the lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance and we could give more examples paul talks about all every abundance filling all these words he uses to show the abundant gifts god gives to his people god doesn't just give joy and peace and hope with an eyedropper every once in a while he gives them to overflowing Looking further, Paul asks that the God of hope would fill them with all joy and peace in believing, believing, or faith. It's the foundation of joy and peace. Faith is the ground from which all joy and peace can grow. Without faith, joy and peace cannot take root. They cannot live. And if your faith is wobbly, your joy and peace will be shaky too. Now, we've seen the importance of faith, trust in God, in Tom's series on Hebrews 11 for the past many weeks. And it, it was by faith that these heroes of the faith looked at God's promises. And while they didn't always get what was promised in this life, they considered him faithful who had promised. That gave them the strong faith, considering God faithful who had promised. And because we have a faithful God, we can have a strong, unshakable faith. And because we have a faithful God, we can have all joy, overflowing joy, unshakable joy, knowing that whatever happens in this life, the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. I read verse 3 earlier, but let's read further. This is the joy of, Paul is speaking of. And Peter reflects it here in the opening verses of his letter. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you, those who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you love have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining at, as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. You can go through this passage yourself and see all the things that God has given us in Christ that give us joy. His mercy in verse 3. The, the fact that we're born again to a living hope. That Christ has risen from the dead and we have an inheritance in heaven. It, it cannot be touched. It cannot, be, it cannot perish. It will not fade away. And verse 5 says we're protected by God through faith. For now, to, for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We, we rejoice in that. Even though we have hard times now. But Christ will come Our faith will be preserved, and we will see the praise and glory and honor when Christ comes back. And we believe in him, verse 8, And we rejoice ahead of time with joy inexpressible and full of glory for what will come to us when he returns, obtaining as the outcome of our faith the salvation of our souls. That's what we have to be joyful about as Christians. So, God is faithful so we can have a strong faith. God is faithful so we can have all joy. Also, because we have a faithful God, we can have all peace, an overflowing peace, an unshakable peace, because Christ has overcome the world. Listen to John 14, 27 again in the upper room as he's about to leave for a time to go to the cross, go to the grave, and come back. He says, peace I leave to you, John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. There's a kind of worldly peace, but he's not giving us that peace. He's giving it his peace. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Your heart may feel like it, it wants to shake, but I have my peace to give to you. He says later, John 16, 33, These things, all the things in the upper room, I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. You look around the world, do you see much peace? Not much. But in your hearts, you can have this peace because Christ has overcome the world. You can take courage, and Christ can give you that peace we have in him. Now Paul, here, back to Romans 15, he said, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. But he has a purpose in mind for this hope and this joy and peace. And that is this, so that, now may this happen so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you are filled with all joy and peace in your faith, it leads you to abound in hope. And again, just like the filling of all joy and peace, we can have an abundance of hope. Not just a little hope, but an abundance of hope. If Paul were to approach one of these Roman believers and ask them if they hope in God, he doesn't want the response to be, well, yeah, I guess so. He wants the response to be, yes, absolutely. I have hope upon hope upon hope because God is faithful to keep all his promises. But this great assurance, this hope, is not because my own faith, my own hope are so great. It's because I have the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. And here Paul comes full circle from the beginning of the verse. We have at the beginning of the verse the God of hope. And at the end we have the Holy Spirit. Who gives us a power to enjoy abundant hope. Yes, we are commanded to hope, but we can't just generate this hope on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. And just as we are commanded to have love, joy, peace, and so forth, those are the fruit of the, fruit of the Spirit. We don't generate these virtues on our own, but God has to do them in us through the Spirit. In fact, even in this passage, we see this is a Trinitarian hope. Look at the end of verse 12. In him shall the Gentiles hope. Who's him? The root of Jesse, son of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus Christ himself arises to rule over the Gentiles and in him shall the Gentiles hope. So verse 12 speaks of the hope we have in Christ. Next, the hope we have in God the Father. And finally, in verse 13 at the end, we have hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit is working this hope in us. Well, I confess for myself that if someone could maybe develop an app for my smartwatch, so we have smartwatches to measure your heart rate and your maybe your oxygen level, that kind of thing. If you could get an app that could measure my faith, hope, joy, and peace... Like it can my steps, heart rate, and blood oxygen level. I'm not sure it would often register in the green, much less the overflowing, abundant level that Paul calls us to in Romans 15, 13. There are many things to discourage us, to weaken our faith, to steal our hope, joy, and peace. So how can we reach the place Paul wants for us? He prays for us. First of all, fundamentally you need to believe in Christ. You need to believe in Christ. We've said very often this joy, this peace, this hope is in Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. <clears throat> Starting verse twelve. Paul here speaking to, to people who are mostly Gentiles. He says, remember, you were at that time, that is before Christ came into your lives, you were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. So without Christ, before the gospel came to you, you were without hope, without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near, By the blood of Christ. You were hopeless without Christ. Now in Christ Jesus, you have peace with God. You've been brought near to God in Christ. Look back a few verses at verse 4. After Paul has spoken about the fact that we are under God's wrath, verse 4 says, "...but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ." By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast." So if you don't believe in Christ this morning, you must do that. If you want hope, joy, peace, the foundation is coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And so throw yourself on the mercy of God, mentioned in verse 4 here. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, and that he rose from the dead and promises a resurrection to all who believe in him. That is our hope. Confess to God that you are a sinner and can in no way save yourself. Now, if you already believe in Christ, but your faith, hope, or joy, or peace is shaky, pray. Pray, even as Paul does. This is a, a prayer in Romans fifteen thirteen. The prayer of Paul for the Romans is when you can pray for yourself. You can pray. You're struggling. God of hope, may you fill me with all joy and peace and believing, so that I may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Next, an important thing for us to do is to set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above. Recall Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. And that's Colossians 3, 1 and 2. It's so easy to get caught up in the things that tempt us to hopelessness. It may be necessary as a necessary practical matter to turn off cable news or unsubscribe from some podcast or remove certain apps from your phone. We can't completely turn out, tune out the world, but we should know ourselves well enough to understand our despair triggers and avoid them. If watching the same talking heads on TV day after day after day brings you to despair, maybe turn off that for a while and, and look into God's Word. This we'll see you in a moment. Just as one example, maybe we can commit to spending more time thinking about the glories of Christ instead of the next presidential election. And finally, after we believe in Christ and we we pray and we set our mind on things above, we search the Scriptures. As Paul says, it's just a few verses up in Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have Hope. Through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So we persevere in our understanding and our encouragement in the Scriptures so that we might have this hope. Remember that the Scriptures for the Romans was just the Old Testament at this point, And how much more of God's Word do we have now to make us hopeful? We have this much more Scripture than they do. We have that much more to be hopeful about. But when you're looking in the scriptures, there are many examples, for example, in the Psalms of someone in great distress turning to God. and I'll just list one. There are many, dozens and dozens of them. But Psalm 42 twice says this, verse 5 and 11. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. So the psalmist knew despair, the psalmist knew this disturbance within himself, but he hoped in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. One of my favorite scriptures to recall in times of discouragement is from the book of Lamentations. It was written by Prophet Jeremiah. Turn with me to chapter 3, Lamentations chapter 3. Maybe you don't get there very often. I, I hope you will. I hope you do. It's a really a precious, although difficult, book to read because it is, as it says, it's lamentations. We don't like to read lamentations. We want to read things that are happy, don't we, often. But lamentations are necessary when there are things to lament. Remember that this prophet Jeremiah had spoken against the sins of Judah for years and years, and he'd been ignored, slandered, beaten, imprisoned and left to die in a muddy cistern. And he suffered greatly for his faithfulness to God and his people. And when the promised judgment of God finally came on Jerusalem, Jeremiah walked and wept among the ruins of the city, destroyed by the Babylonians. So many who had died, so many buildings torn down the, the temple in ruins. And Paul says this Lamentations 3, Verse 17. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. Have you ever forgotten happiness? Felt like you've been so long since I've even had any happiness. I've forgotten what it's like to be happy. My soul has been rejected from peace. My soul has no peace in it. I have forgotten happiness or joy. I have no joy. I have no peace. So I say, my strength has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. There's peace, joy, and hope. And yet, uh, Lamentations 3, Jeremiah has lost them. My hope from the Lord has perished. It's dead. I felt that way. I think you have too. So you have felt it for many months or years, perhaps. I trust those Seasons are are short, but they are real. And they are painful. And they call forth Lamentations. Where are you, God, in my trials? But, there's an end there. Lamentations 3 continues. And he says, Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. That wormwood is is a bitter-tasting thing. This bitterness in my soul. Surely my soul remembers And is bowed down within me. But, here the light is growing. This I recall to my mind. Therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. And we could go on, but and I encourage you to do so another time, but let this speak to your heart. If you are in Lamentations 3, 17 and 18, I understand that. God understands that better than I do. And yet, there's a reality. The rest of this, passage. The Lord gives hope because his loving kindnesses, indeed, never see His compassions never fail. If you don't see them, they are still there. Just like yesterday, I was watching the, the sunrise. It didn't really rise because it was so overcast, but I knew the sun was there, even though I couldn't see it. The Lord's loving kindnesses are always there. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. Because God is my portion, it's what has been allotted to me I have hope in him, verse 24. He is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. And so if you're in a time of great sorrow, hopelessness, despair, no joy, no peace, little faith, God is there with you. He is the one who can give you that hope. And so continue to put your hope in him, and he will show his mercies that are new every morning. And when you're tempted to lose hope, look to the scriptures and ask yourself as you read, how does God show his faithfulness here? And then you can pray with strength and faith that he would show himself faithful in your struggles. And then you can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, abound with all joy, peace, and hope. Let's pray. Father, we confess we all too often don't have the hope and the joy, the, the peace, the faith that we should have as your children. You, we have every reason to have hope, every reason to have joy, peace, and faith because you are a good God. And yet we are so sinful and weak, finite. We are so distracted by the things of the world, the turmoil in our own hearts, that we forget who you are. But may we, like Jeremiah, even as we look inwards, for a time and and see the hopelessness look out to you and know that you are there that your loving kindness never ceases that you are always there to give us hope all joy and peace may these things abound to us we might abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit we pray these things in Christ's name Amen